This is Five on Three, center ice for all things Islanders, Rangers, and all news across the NHL on WFUV Sports. Welcome into another episode of Five on Three. This one, a virtual one, Thanksgiving, recording on Thanksgiving Friday, Black Friday, and so I've got Will Jing, James Burley with me over Zoom, guys, before we get into anything, how we doing, how was Thanksgiving? I can go first. Thanksgiving has been a blessing, not only just, you know, get away from school, get a nice little week off and see some family, but um, the the break in, uh, in uh, I would say for at least my team, the break in momentum of what has been a really rough week of hockey could uh could be well versed for them to make some changes moving forward because the new jersey devils have had a rough start to the season and and we'll get into it but that's sort of where my mind's at right now because i've been thinking all about five on three all thanksgiving week because this this is my thanksgiving right now and and i'm thankful for you guys lou will for having me on this week so that's where i'm at right now and I'm, i'm having a great day yeah, I'm thankful for the whole station too. I'm really excited. It's my first time being on five and three in a while. Um, my Thanksgiving break has been well needed, I think, because I have so much to do, and it's just like I needed some time to get away from class for a little bit just to get everything else done. Um, there's a really big day of hockey ahead of us. I think. I think the Rangers play the Flyers at one. Um, they play the Bruins tomorrow. Dials Dials play the Senators later. Um, I think the Devils have a game too. So really excited to get into it. Yeah, Jack was complaining yesterday about, like, oh, there's no hockey on Thanksgiving. And I was like, it's a valid point. He was like, you know, the most American thing would be to steal something from another country and make that part of our American holiday. But no hockey mm-hmm. on Thanksgiving. It's a huge slate today, huge slate tomorrow. And James, you said it. Family was trying to talk to me, and I was like, listen, I can't do it. I got five on three tomorrow. I got to get I gotta get locked in. Um, yeah. And so let's lead right into the Devils, because for the Devils – Things aren't good. They've lost five of their last last six, and now you're looking at second to last place in the Metro with 17 points. I think I want to open with James, not only just our resident Devils fan, our Devils beat reporter. Where's your concern level? Are we panicking? What's the panic meter at? Hit me with all your thoughts. Let it all out. Yes. I, I don't want to say that it's time to panic just yet because if I look at the schedule today at 3 p.m., I'm going to be there at the Rock. The Devils are hosting the division's worst Columbus Blue Jackets. And if this game today does not go the way that it should go, and that should be a comfortable Devils win, yeah. then I think we can start to panic because while there have been valid concerns about injuries to guys like Jack Hughes, who was out for seven games, uh, Nico Hishier and Timo Meyer are still out. Um, and it's valid to bring up that they're not there. But the fact of the matter is the Devils have not really looked great for more than two or three games this year. And that's unacceptable considering the level that they were at just a season ago. And it kind of culminated the worst of it really was that four nothing loss on Wednesday to the Red Wings. Um, I was sitting there ready to, you know, write off a lot of the other performances earlier in the season because that 5-2 win the Devils had over the Penguins last Thursday was exemplary. That's exactly how the Devils want to play and should play moving forward. That was that was a game without Jack Hughes. That was a game without Nico Hishier, without Timo Meyer. They played their team game against a solid Penguins team. Then they followed up with a really strong team performance, I thought, against the New York Rangers. Yeah. But a couple of lapses in the D zone um, give Jimmy Vesey a couple of chances to to, to put on a couple. Damn and right. As much as we love that guy, 
I can't help but think that Vitek Vanacek needs to do better on one or two of those goals and that the Devils defensive structure needs to be a little bit more cohesive, a little bit more technically sound. And it hasn't been that. But I thought that they were going to turn around from that game against the Rangers thinking we played really well, but we couldn't get the win. We have to, you know, galvanize the troops with three days off. And then they go and they lay the first goose egg in over 100 games. The first time the Devils have been shut out in 101 games was against the Detroit Red Wings on Wednesday. And I know the Red Wings are having a great season, especially for their own standards. But the Devils standards need to be risen that much higher because right now there's been a little bit of uh, too much acceptance of mediocrity too much acceptance of a lack of competitiveness, quite frankly. And that's culminated now in an NHL 500 record for a team that has quality far, far above that. And look, I'm not here to do a pity parade for the goaltending situation, but it's no mystery that the Devils have the 29th best team goaltending records in the league. Uh, Akira Schmid hasn't been good enough. Vitek Vanacek hasn't looked like a, a player who can shoulder uh, a starting load for a full season. And while I was one of the biggest voices over the summer to say we, the Devils don't need to go get a Connor Hellebuck, a John Gibson, a UC Saris type goaltender, maybe I'm being proven wrong, but I also think that the Devils' defense is not doing enough to protect their goaltenders. And while the analytics would suggest that it's an, almost entirely on the goaltending and that the Devils' defense is only slightly below average, I'm sorry, but I, I've been watching the games and it's starting to make me believe a little less and less in the analyticals of it all, or the analytics of it all, because... I don't know how many free chances the Devils can give other teams and expect their goalies to make big saves. Not every team has Igor Shosturkin and Elias Sorokin. Um, the Devils don't, and they need their team to be better in front of them. Maybe they go out and try to get a goaltender. I don't know. But for me, it's uh, it's more on the defense, and, and the, the goaltending being bad is a microcosm of that. And I think, yeah, if they had an elite goaltender, they'd be bailed out here and there. But for me, it's not been good enough in its entirety. So I'm looking for the Devils today to have a great 60 minute. I know I've said this several times by this point, but today more than ever, you're playing the Blue Jackets, all right? You're not playing a better goaltender than you have. The Devils will have a better goaltender today, or at least they should. So Elvis Merlin, they don't get it done. Yeah, if they don't get it done today, then I think it's time to panic. It's time to start looking at Lindy Ruff because if he can't get this team to play at their highest level, I think it's time to start asking those questions. And then, then I think you take a real hard look at the goaltending situation if they can't figure it out today. And then they got to play again tomorrow night against the Sabres, who are not an easy game anymore. So I, I think we learn a lot today. We'll learn even more tomorrow night. But uh, yeah, this is a big weekend for New Jersey, especially with a bunch of divisional games coming up next week. You bring up a lot of good points about the analytics, because I have a weird relationship with a lot of the analytics when you look at stuff on like Money Puck or all those hockey sites and all these expected values. And it's like, all right, this is really cool stuff. But what exactly am I supposed to do with this? Because the analytics try to tell me that the Chris Kreider Mika Zibanejad line has been the Rangers' best line all season. I, like, it's not. I'm M- telling you, Mika hasn't not. scored. Right. And it's, listen, yeah. Mika's getting shots. Whatever. Great. They're, even even if it's, even if he was scoring a little bit more, that's not the best line of the Rangers right now. Mm-hmm. And anyone, I think, with a pulse and eyes can see that. And I looked at the, the metrics yesterday, and it's like, yeah, the Devils defensively don't have awful metrics. And like their goals above their goals expected above differential is like crazy bad in favor of their goaltenders, where it's like the storyline's supposed to be that the goaltenders are the main ones at fault here. And I'm not saying that Vancheck and Schmidt have done a good job at all. But I think you should be really disappointed with the Devils defensive core just in general. I mean, yeah. listen, you're playing Brendan Smith consistently, and that hurts. And I'm sorry. Like, that's awful. Um and Luke Hughes, I don't think, 
has really developed as a, you know, his defensive side of the game just yet either. And so I think you're in a tough spot. We talked about, you know, going into this season that losing big pieces like Severson and stuff like that, like this was going to be an adjustment. I still wasn't ready for how much of an adjustment it was going to be defensively. I think you saw it in the third goal of that Detroit game where it's like, what's Vanchek supposed to do there? Like, yeah, exactly. And it's like, I, I don't think that that's something that's been out of the ordinary under this stretch. And what's surprising no. is I think you nailed it with the sense of like, I thought they were starting to play better hockey. They beat a Pittsburgh team. that I know Pittsburgh's not the best team in the Metro. I think Pittsburgh's been playing some solid hockey lately. When I watched them play the Rangers, that was a tightly contested game that I thought Pittsburgh came out ready to play. And then at, at that Rangers game, like you got me in the edge of my I was seat. Toe to toe. You got me in the edge of my seat that entire game. It takes a miracle. Jimmy VC goal that uh, Jimmy VC could try that a hundred times. I don't know how many times he's, he's making a goal like that. I love Jimmy VC, but like you said, like Jimmy VC shouldn't probably score two goals right. in a game ever. Um, and so <laughs> like that game was really close that to get shut out by Detroit. I think that was like a, ah, like we're not really trending in the right direction just yet. And a lot of these issues that we've seen the entire season, they're still there. I mean, to me, I mean, first off, you guys covered almost everything. There we we talked for a while. <laughs> especially you, James. Um, no, it's okay. I mean, I think you, you covered a lot of good points. Um, I don't personally think it's time for the Devils to panic just yet because I think they do have their their – good points even though obviously like you mentioned their goaltending is quite questionable um i actually looked it up last night and both their goaltenders have 88.6 and 88.5 save percentages so not uh the best numbers um but i would say that their power play has been really scary this season like 37.7 percent on the power play um i think curtis lazar's has been really underappreciated um High for team leading 33 hits, 67% on the faceoff. And I think doing things like that, even though it's not, you know, goals or points, I think that's that's huge. And I think they, I mean, coming off last season, they they were, I think, the number two seed, right? So I think there's a lot of good things about them. And it's definitely not time to panic yet. I can see why, like, you know, losing 4-0 to the Wings might be like, uh-oh. But at the same time, the Wings are also, they've been a really solid team this season so far. So I think that... The Devils do have some time to put it together a little bit. But, I mean, then again, you you do have to be aware that coming down the stretch of the season, if it continues, then you might have to take a look and be like, okay, there's there's something we need to change here. I, I mean, you tell me, James, but, like, I feel like the power play being as strong as it's been with some of the injuries, Hughes being out, Heesher being out, Meyer being out. I mean, to me, that's something I think you can lean back on. And obviously the Devils power play, I think, has been the main reason to their offensive success. The flip side is I worry about their even strength offense because I think they have the second fewest goals at five on five. And the Devils are going to have to be, even if they play start to play better defensively, like to me, the Devils are a team that like that offense needs to be a top five offense if you're going to see them have, if you're going to see them be a top five, top 10 team in the league. They're going to need to outscore opponents because even at their base level, they're not the best defensive team. They're not the best goaltending team. And so I'm like, yeah, and how worried are we about five and five? I heard it with the Rangers, like for the last few years, where it's like the Rangers are an awful five and five team, and you're not wrong, and you see it in the playoffs. That's so that's what I'm saying. Like the conversation we had all all during the playoffs was the Devils were playing some of the best even strength hockey, best neutral zone hockey, uh, for any team not called the Boston Bruins all last year. And the Rangers, for their money, had an elite power play, but were being outskated by the Devils during during five on five. So once once the Devils had a little bit more discipline, then they could 
play their game against the Rangers. But right now, the Devils don't really have their game. They're uh, they're playing some of the worst even-strength hockey in the league, which is hard to believe considering their entire identity is all about playing speed and playing through the neutral zone and catching you on the counter and, and establishing a forecheck, and they haven't really done that. They haven't established a forecheck. They don't have any will in the offensive zone. It's kind of get in, get a shot off, and retreat back, which has been a little bit disappointing. But the fact of the matter is that power play is elite, Will. You brought it up, and it's the best in the league for a reason. You look at the personnel on it, Luke Hughes has stepped into the league and become an amazing power play quarterback at the blue line. I've loved what he's done, but yeah, there'd be growing pains defensively. We knew that Lou, you talked about the, the changing of the guard, Damon Steverson, Ryan Graves gone. You expect there to be a dip in quality, a dip in D zone coverage, a guy like Graves stay at home guy. And a guy like Steverson, a veteran of the game who just reads the game. Well, sometimes you're not going to get that a hundred percent with Luke Hughes. And, and I'm not going to put a lot of blame on him just because he's one of the new guys, but think about his game. He's a big speed skater, great puck handler, He's an offensive defenseman through and through. He's great with recovery speed, but his D zone coverage is his his uh, his um, his zonal, uh, I would say, awareness is not always up to snuff because he's new to this. This he's played twenty something career NHL games, you know, uh, and that's fine. So these things are going to correct themselves. I'm not worried about the Devils long term having a defense problem. Seaman Namich is waiting in the AHL to get called up. That's second overall pick. He's one of the best young defensemen in the world. So I- I'm not too worried long-term about this, but we expected this. We just didn't expect it to be this much of a detrimental issue to the entire way the team plays. And yeah, I, I'm i not worried about, you know, having the best power play in the league. That's very much a luxury. But if you use that as your crutch for all your scoring, like we learned through the Rangers in the playoffs last year, it becomes easy to play against you. You know, it, it, if once you stay out of the box, once you limit, you know, second and third chances and you're not getting hit hard on the forecheck, you become an easy team to beat. And that's the difference between the Devils this year and the Devils last year. They have most of the same quality. They have most of the same players, but they're allowing themselves to be figured out rather quickly. And to me, that 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 makes uh, that makes Lindy Ruff's um, job a little bit harder to defend. Well, and as much as I like him, he broke all sorts of records with the Devils last year, one of the most historic coaches in the league, but he has never won a cup. So I think there's something to be said about that as well. I'm not ready to to throw Lindy to the uh, to the Sharks just yet, but um, I, I think we are a couple of bad losses away from asking those questions. Well, I'll say too, the fact that there's such a difference between the power play and even strength, and we're not talking about a team that, you know, they're not feeding off of just, oh, they can throw all the other guys in one power play line and, you know, they don't have good depth. Like, the top three lines of the Devils, like, we talked about going into the season, probably the best in the NHL when healthy. The fact that there's that much of a difference, I just keep thinking back to, like, last year with the Rangers and, like, Gerard Gallant. Okay, he could put all of his good guys in PP1 and that power play line was good. They couldn't play well at even strength. You get a coaching change, you get Laviolette in here. And, listen, the Rangers aren't, like, a top 10 five-on-five team this year. But they're a lot better, and if you watch the games, they're playing a lot stronger five-on-five where you have all that talent and you're not playing at five-on-five. A lot of times, sometimes that's that's either a system thing or that's a coaching thing, and I think that's a scary thing if you're Lindy Ruffin. Yeah, I would say so, but I, I don't want to say that like Lindy Ruff is not doing a great job with this Devils team because if you look at the, 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 his whole pedigree since he took over, his first year in charge, or his first, yeah, it was completely marred with goaltending injuries mm-hmm. and that whole thing. Like, you kind of write off that whole season. Like, dude, what are you going to do when you've got your your two goaltenders? You're switching between 
Louis Domingue, Andrew Hammond, and and Nico Dawes, sure. and a 20, 20 year old Akira Schmid before he had even, you know, gotten to the US for more than three months. He was still in the USHL practically. Um yeah. But to to look where he got them in it in one year, 63 point difference, and then now, I it's 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 I don't know how to feel, right? Like as a devil's fan, if I if I if I peel away you know, the analysis glasses sometimes. And I just think the team was terrible. Then they were amazing. And now they're sort of in this, well, they're really good, but they're playing bad situation. I don't know how to feel. Am I, should I be excited when they turn the corner or should I be very, very nervous that they're falling back into old habits and last year was an anomaly? Um, because they certainly haven't played the way that they did last year. And and while Jack Hughes was back uh, and got two points immediately against the Rangers, looked like he didn't miss a beat. I, I know he got... A gift from Igor on his goal, but he came back and hit the ground running. But the team itself looked like they they didn't play that game against the Penguins and Rangers on Wednesday against the Red Wings, and that's why I'm looking for today. They need to send a statement. If those players in that locker room aren't ready to to, to show their home fans a statement, send a message today against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Last time they played the Blue Jackets at home at the end of last year. They put seven behind Elvis Mers Lincolns, and the poor guy just wanted to leave, go home, and get over get over with the season. That should be the type of performance the Devils want to put on today because they're capable of it. But they haven't shown it for more than a game or two this year. And yeah, Lindy Ruff should probably start to get nervous for his job, but this is where we were last year. The Devils were ready. The Devils fans were certainly ready to get rid of Lindy Ruff, and then two weeks later they were apologizing to him. I'm not saying that it's going to be anything as drastic this year, but this team knows that they had to turn a corner. They've done it before, and I'm hoping that today is the start of that. I mean, Lou, you mentioned um, a good point, I think, you know, right before James spoke about coaching being so important. And I think that it's especially important in hockey because, as you said, with the Rangers, like, I don't think Gallant was a bad coach, in my opinion. I mean, you could see just, you know, he coached Vegas to to, um, the Stanley Cup. And so, like, to me, it's – he, he doesn't have a, a, a bad pedigree. It's just sometimes I think the team as a whole, just it's it's almost like the team needs a, a fitting coach, not necessarily a good coach. And I think, I don't know, that might be the problem with the doubles. Yeah, it, it it's tough. I think it's it's definitely recency bias right now. At the end of last year, Noam was talking about Lindsey Ruff leaving New Jersey. I think it really, it's heavily dependent on how like really the rest of this halfway of the season goes like if we get to the halfway mark of the season the devils are still we're still having these conversations then i think the talks about lindy ruff maybe being out of new jersey i think that becomes a reality i think at this point it's now just something that like you're watching for because you're more conscious of all of these things and that's that's the way it's going to be when you come into a year with high expectations and i think we talked about that in a couple episodes before that's the the big difference this year is that this year, the Devils have all those expectations, and every team goes up to play New Jersey realizing that they're playing one of the best teams in the NHL, and that wasn't where we were at the start of last year. But that's what comes with having success. Um, so, James, unless you have anything else, I think we could pivot. I mean, I think I think I, uh, I think I said my piece. Today is important. Today is as important a Devils game as there's been on Black Friday in a very long time. Uh, and, and you know what? Uh, just a fun little bit of history. Yesterday was a a, a one year anniversary of the Devils Leafs game where the Devils threw stuff on the ice after they had three disallowed goals. That was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Uh, so we that was a lot game. of fun. 
I was, I was, that was, uh, I was at that game. It was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving last year. Um, so I was at that game. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. That was strange press conference afterward too. Mm. That was, Lindy had to like defend the fans while also like saying they can't do that. It was interesting. That was, that was a lot of fun. Devils back to back. A lot of teams have a back to back. It is the, yeah. the glory of the NHL schedule back to back Columbus and then Boston on Saturday. We'll pivot to the Rangers. Rangers and Devils just played recently. The Rangers still very good. Before we get into anything like about what they've done recently, I do want to address James went on one on one last weekend with Jack Warner, got the invite from Jack Warner. They talked about the Devils Rangers series. And one of the things that came up, and James, I think I'm going to surprise you with my take here. James brought up after the Columbus game that in my report, I made it all about Alexi Lafreniere. And you know what? He's not wrong. And it's and it really it's my fault because I did an awful job of explaining myself and I did. I got caught up in the pageantry of oh my god, Alexi Lafreniere got two goals and a shootout winner. And did not think about at all the fact that both of Alexi Lafreniere's goals might be two of the ugliest goals he's scored all season. <laughs> um James, you're absolutely right. I made that game completely about Lafreniere. I shouldn't have. I got excited, and when I don't think I did a good job of getting my point across, and I'd love to tell this to you now is that to me, the fact that that game happened is just a signal of how different this year has been for Lafreniere and where he's at right now and his confidence level. And on my part, don't think I did a good job of explaining that in my report. Just said, hey, Alexi Lafreniere is awesome. Um, I know you said a lot of good things about Alexi Lafreniere on one-on-one. I want to thank you for that. I know you, you went out there and you defended him. And so, James, I, I just want to say thank you, man. You're right. You held me accountable and you made a lot of good points. Well, look, I appreciate that. I want to say thank you too. I was uh, mostly I want to say anything that I was like, "Oh, come on, man." It's oh, I was teasing a little I, bit. I, I have no, to admit. I, I, I watched it was all in good fun. Perhaps perhaps a little editorializing if you will, but I mean, look at his numbers this year and look what he did on Wednesday. He had the lone goal in that game against the Penguins and I mean, look, he's playing with with a lot of confidence right now and the elite net front presence of it all is that is important. You said that game was important. The fact that he's out there that late in the game, when you look at some of the guys on this list of this team, he didn't have to be, and he was. That's a lot of faith in the young guys, something that LaViolette has, I think, done a better job than Gallant ever did in his short time in New York already. And then you look at the numbers that Laps put up this year. Even without that game against Columbus, he would still have 10.6 goals. He's got eight on the year. He, he He's crushing it, at least comparatively to where he was before. He's absolutely crushing it. So... There's nothing to not be excited about in New York right now. I, I think you, you you look around you look around what what they've been doing so far this year. You have to like a lot of it. I think you'll find places to to criticize like Lou. You always do, but I think there's a lot to like about the Rangers so far. And and I mean, look, Rangers Flyers is always a fun one. So yeah. today today should be today's a great day for hockey, man. It should be a lot of fun today. Yeah. I'm going to back check real quick because the De- uh, the Rangers had their first regulation loss in like legitimately a month. They lost to the fly- uh, to the Stars 6-3, a little bit inflated by the fact that two empty net goals at the end of that game. But what was interesting is that scrolling on Twitter, I think you saw Ranger fans you know, feel like it was the first time they were able to criticize Peter Laviolette. And kind of one of the things that was a- it was advertised as is like Peter Laviolette made his first mistake as New York Rangers head coach, which is cool that we're having that conversation in November. Um, I kind of want to address a couple of things. A lot of people are upset that he pulled Igor down to with like four minutes left on the power play. 
I've got no problem with that. This, this has I mean, become. Uh, yeah, Sorry, Will. Go. go ahead. Go. No, oh, you go. Right. I'll go. I mean, I think if you're down two goals, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't know. Like, I think that's just one of those things where it's just like you're scapegoating the coach. That, that power I play think... needs a little bit of a jump, and you're down two with four minutes left. Like, you're going to need to score two goals in a crazy quick span. What do you have to lose? So you're you're saying you think it was a big mistake? I know. I'm 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 defending Laviolette. Like, what do you have to lose by doing that? In my mind, oh, yeah. In my mind, you have nothing to lose from doing that. You're probably going to lose anyway. That power play, I thought, was a little slow in the third period. They didn't look great. So, like, get an extra guy out there. And that's the trade-off is that if they get stolen away at the point, it's an easy goal. But whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think also their power play has been good enough this year. I mean, I don't think it's been as effective as the Devils, but it's certainly up there. You know, they're one of the best power plays in the league. And I think that, you know, to pull the goalie with such a, a powerful power play just increases your chances dramatically of scoring. Again, you're probably not going to win, but it's just like whether you lose by two or whether you lose by, I think they lost by three, like they did. I mean, it's like, dude, you're, you're losing either way. A loss is a loss. So in my opinion, I don't, I don't think, you know, the, the thing with pulling um, Igor is that big of a deal. Yeah, I saw a lot of that on Twitter. My main problem with Laviolette in that game was that he challenged the Sagan goal with 12 minutes to go in the third period when, like, clearly, to my, in my eyes, like, wasn't, like, just you weren't going to win that challenge, and now all of a sudden you have to go on the PK down two with 12 minutes left. That I would, like, the Rangers don't do well with challenges anyway when it looks like they should win them, and that was one that's like, what are we doing and now, now we have to defend in our own zone for two minutes when we're already trailing by two. I had a little bit of a problem with his challenge there. But other than that, like, I had no problem with how aggressive Laviolette was in the final stages of that game. I just wanted to get that out there. If I may on this, this has been an ongoing discussion with just about every team. Anytime, anytime someone gives up an empty net goal before the final two and a half minutes of the game, it's always asked, why are we pulling our goalie this early? Um, why are we gambling like this? And this has kind of been like a change I have noticed gradually over the National Hockey League in the past five, six years, really. And I think that a lot of it is like analytics coming into the game. Um, same thing we've seen a lot of other sports, like in the NFL, like how how recently were teams constantly going for it on fourth down? Do you think about it's that's a very much more common thing in the last two, three years than it was before. And I think teams pulling their goalie with three, four, maybe five minutes left in games down one, two goals on a power play or not um, has been much more common. And I think I don't know the numbers behind it, but I would imagine it has to do with um, advanced statistics suggesting that teams more likely come back from leads late when they pull their goalie earlier. But th- this is my very much a trend in the NHL. And it's an it's a common frustration among fans to turn around and say, well, the game was there, we had a power play, and you threw it away when you gambled and took a goalie off the ice um, with so many minutes, uh, so to speak, left in the game. I'm I'm not about that type of criticism. I say you go for it if you have a chance like that. It sometimes it pays off, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I think back to last year when the Devils kind of just refused to lose so many games late. So many games did they have their goalie pulled before three minutes, uh, before two minutes. Uh, and I think, yeah, it, the numbers probably back up to the uh, the reasoning behind it. Um, and it goes with a lot of the uh, developments in analytics taking over sports, and not just hockey, but elsewhere as well. I mean, if I may add on to that real quick, um, just real quick. I mean, I think you mentioned that it's like a trend to see, um, you know, a thing where people uh, coaches are pulling their goalies earlier. 
I think what's also a trend re- lately is, you know, especially with the the emergence of like more and more people like talking about sports like social media and things like that. I think something that's also emerging basically every sport is scapegoating the coach. You know, like I think you see it a lot where it's like in every sport, you know, the coach gets fired and a new coach comes in. And it's like it really didn't make that much of a difference. So I think, you know, to add on to this is is that fact. Right. It used to be that you'd get you get you get the criticism from the media and that's it. And now like the Twitter, the Twitter of it yeah. all, every coach is I mean, Aaron Aaron Boone can't go a day on Twitter in the offseason without someone talking about how awful would coach Aaron Boone is. Uh, not to get into baseball. Um, it's easy to get over a six, three loss when you haven't lost in a month. And it makes it even easier when you come back and you beat the penguins one, nothing on Jonathan Quick's second shutout of the year. And I'm, I'm seeing a lot of really funny dialogue right now around Jonathan Quick and just how good he's been and jokes about how he looks better than Igor. And to be honest, like so far might look better (laughs) than Igor. I'm not, I'm not upset about that at all. To me, it's a testament to how good. First off, how good John the Quick has been this year, and also Ben Wilder might be magic, and I'm okay with that as well. Did either of you expect this from Jonathan Quick this year? Because I can confidently say I did. I did not, honestly. I mean, I didn't. I didn't think he was going to play this much, honestly. You know, because obviously Igor had the injury, so he got to play a little bit more. But I mean, that that's also something that you know the Rangers need to look at as the season continues. So, like. Igor is not the Igor that he was a couple of years ago, you know, in terms of when you look at his numbers. So, you know, and, and quick has looked better. So, you know, what do you, what do you do uh, down the stretch of the season? Do you continue to put your trust in Igor considering, you know, what he's done for them the past couple of seasons, or do you go off of, you know, what's happened so far this season? I, I still, I think Igor has been really good this year. Like I, I think there's a couple games where he hasn't looked yeah. great against New Jersey. He's clearly rusty and he lets in two goals where you're like, Ah oh, man, what are we doing? And then there was that early game against Columbus where he let up five. Other than that, I think Igor has been pretty close to what he was two years ago. He's been really sharp. There was that stretch where it was like Quick and Igor combined. Every game they were allowing two goals or less. Like the Rangers goalie tandem in general has been great. And I think a lot of the spotlight goes to Quick so far because it's a great story. He's old, but he's moving like the way he was four or five years ago. And he's got two shutouts. I'm not going to entertain anything. Like, I think Igor is legitimately playing some of his best hockey since his Vesna season. And you're going to see that continue. And I don't think we're going to have to have any uncomfortable conversations. Although I did begin to think, I had this conversation with my dad because I was thinking about what happens in the playoffs if it's like a Allmark Swayman situation where Boston ran into Allmark struggled in the playoffs and they refused to go away from him until game seven. Hypothetically, what would the Rangers do? That's so far down the line. That's the one thing I've kind of been thinking about. I'm not too worried about either. I and you shouldn't be. Uh, I've I've been on record saying he's the best goalie in the world, and I'll say it again, even though it pains me to say it. Um, and Jonathan Quick, for as good as he's been this year, I mean, he's not gonna shoulder the burden of a full starters load at this point in his career. He's a three-time Stanley Cup champion, uh, and I'm not gonna take anything away from him. He's an absolute legend. He beat the Devils and Rangers in Stanley Cups. He, he certainly knows how to how to do these things. Um, but no, he's not going to be the starter. Uh, Igor is generational. Um, it's 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 almost insane to me that the Rangers can go from Henrik Lundqvist and then could arguably have a better goaltender than him. Um, and, 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 and I know it's early to say that uh, the longevity of Henrik Lundqvist's career is probably going to 
in the long run uh, suggest that he was better than Igor Shosturkin. But Igor is at the top of his game during his prime. There is no way that you ever have to tell that guy, hey, take a seat because um, it's his crease and he's going to he's going to take the mantle there whenever it's ready for him. But it doesn't hurt to have Jonathan Quick uh, playing the way he's been playing and waiting in the wings because God forbid you do have a situation like Omar Swayman in the playoffs where you have a, a Vanacek Schmid type situation in the playoffs. You know that there's another guy there who can you can turn to and has not only been around the block, but is still killing it right now with I, I believe he's got he's undefeated on the year, hasn't lost in regulation at least. Yeah. Um uh yeah, he's been killing it. But I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give some more flowers to Peter Laviolette and the one three one neutral zone trap, which I mean, I don't know if Rangers fans wanna thank the Devils for uh, you know, creating the trap and ruining hockey back in the early two thousands, <laughs> late nineties, because you're you're using that platform now, and I'm only teasing again because every team implements a, some sort of trap. It's just that Peter Laviolette is a little bit more aggressive than usual, and I love the way the Rangers defend from the front, and they pick off the puck in the neutral zone a lot. It's really hard to skate through the neutral zone in a 1-3 run zone if you don't have numbers stretching the ice, and it's really hard to do that when you don't get the puck in your own zone quickly. So I love the scheme from Laviolette, uh, and I didn't think it would work out for the Rangers because, quite frankly, there are teams that are faster than them. If you're moving the puck and you're playing faster and you're covering space faster than 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 your opponent, especially in their own zone, you're going to frustrate them a lot. The Rangers have been doing that territorially. I've been impressed with their play, and that makes it easier on the goaltenders. It It's nice to see the Rangers do to other teams what I always felt like other good teams did to the Rangers, which was like when the Rangers would go up against really good teams, it was like, oh, they can't move the puck to the neutral zone at all, and we're just not going to be able to win this game because we're never going to have ozone possessions because we can't even get there. And it's nice to see us do that to other teams. But on the flip side, also be able to, when other teams flip the ice against us, and it's like that third period against Pittsburgh, like Pittsburgh controls the puck for most of that game, for most of that period. Because I think Pittsburgh only allowed six shots on goal. Rangers had 30 going through two periods, and then only got six in the third. And it's like Pittsburgh dominates possession and control in that third period. And the Rangers D is just able to hold up. And like Nick Bonino, but not blocking shots left and right. Eric Gustafson has been a reg- uh, just a revelation. I mean, was supposed to come in and be a third line guy. No idea how he's on like just a salary cap minimum contract. Had a good year last year. Legitimately a really good, like great offensive defenseman, but can also play some style of defense. And he's been sliding up with Fox out and he's played great. Like I have really far, few and far complaints with this Rangers team, especially defensively. The PK has been awesome. You, help, you hold the Penguins scoreless on five power plays. This PK has been one of the best in the league. And again, that's not something that the Rangers have been able to say recently. I mean, you're right that there's not too much to complain about right now. I'm only just, I'm only nervous that maybe this, um, the start to the season is going to end up regressing to the mean, if you will. That That's something that I'm nervous about because I think in the past couple seasons, we've seen like up and down stretches for the Rangers. They'll have like a stretch where it's like, oh my God, this team is, like has a shot at becoming Stanley Cup champions, and then and then a stretch that's just like, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just nervous that it's one of those longer longer stretches where it's like, oh, they're really good before suddenly everything crashes and burns. You know, Mika's advantage has. Let me just like he's Enough. not been. Yeah, he's been pretty pretty bad this season, and you know I don't know how long this Panarin going crazy stretch is going to go. Um, as you said, they're still not a great five on five team, and 
I'm a little bit nervous that we're getting our hopes a little bit much. I think they've looked vulnerable in the past few games. They trailed doubles um, in the third. They collapsed against the Stars. Um, only, I mean, they did win against the, the Penguins, but it's one goal. So there's there's things about this team that make me be, go like, uh, I'm not I'm not too too much buying the hype train yet. I, I, I think it's also like, how do you look at certain things? Like there are games that they've won this season that they probably shouldn't have won. And it's like, well, you could be like, well, last year they don't win those games. And it's nice that even when we don't play our best, we're able to win those games. Or do you look at it and you go, hey, sometimes we're not playing our best. Maybe we're getting lucky, right? It's like the will to win versus luck factor. That's kind yeah. of going to be a constant tug and pull this entire season. Well, look, I think yeah, no, you uh, make your James own luck. I'm sorry. I, I, I think you make your own luck. And, and you know, when you talk about winning games, you're not supposed to be winning. That's a measure of character, and and while I'm, I, I I I lament in in relating this year's Rangers to last year's Devils. This was a common thing we talked about all year long with New Jersey, where they would find themselves down four three late in the third period. And there's like there's a reason the Devils led the NHL on twenty eight comeback wins. It's just because that's just they wanted to win. They willed themselves into winning games. They they found themselves in situations and dug them out. Um, and I'm not saying the Rangers have been digging themselves in and out of situations this season that's not really the way it's been going but their bounces have been going their way because of the way that they're playing because of the situations they're putting their players in, because of the confidence so many guys have I don't think you get this situation last year with a guy like Lafreniere because he's not playing with the same amount of confidence not the same amount of belief in the guys and the coaches around him um, and all of that translates into more goals into more points into more wins and that's where the Rangers are at right now and I think that's not something you take for granted and say, well, there were a good team. It's just going to go our way. No, it's something that you have to earn continuously. It's ongoing. And I think they're going to continue to do that because I don't know. I think the attitude for the New York Rangers right now is that of something that they want to prove something. And I, and I think, I don't think that this sort of trend is going away anytime soon. They're going to go through a rough patch. It happens to every team in every NHL season. They'll probably go on a stretch where they lose several games in a row. And it may not look pretty or it might look pretty when they do. It doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is, at that point, do they get it back to come looking like they do now when they have confidence and they have this stretch? Are bounces going to go their way again? And if so, then you can chalk it up to them being a good team with a great attitude and a good system around them because that's, to me, what it looks like right now. I mean, I, I think the most humbling thing that I kind of stumbled upon probably about a week ago was when they were on they were on that crazy stretch where they were getting a point every single game. I forget what exactly their record was over that stretch, but I basically saw something that was like, what the Rangers are doing right now is the pace that the Bruins played at all of last year, right? That was historic, like best season of all time. And I was like, oh, damn. So it's like, again, this it's probably not going to last forever. And that's okay. But I think this team has shown that they're they're different and they're going to be good. I think this this weekend's pretty big, right? Flyers today, Boston tomorrow. Boston, best team in the NHL. And what's interesting to note, I think, is Igor is in net tonight or today, this afternoon, which makes you think that we're getting quick against Boston. And so I, I, I think that Boston game is a big, a big marker for Rangers fans. Like, not that it's like, oh, like, this, you know, this is going to completely determine our mood or anything, but you're testing yourself against a team that's been the best so far. And all right, we've done a lot of winning. How we, how we shape up against Boston, I think it's going to be something I'm going to be curious about. Yeah, I think that's basically a, a playoff preview because 
going the way things are going right now, you, we definitely could see Rangers and Bruins be, you know, one and two seeds, and then they end up playing in the Eastern Conference Finals or something. So, I mean, it's it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And listen, I think if they're they're gonna win tomorrow, um, not not to look over today's game, but you know, obviously Boston's, you know, I would say the top team in the NHL right now. They need to be like everyone needs to be firing on all cylinders. They can't have a single like mishap. I think um, maybe they can't have like one player play like subpar maybe they can afford to have like Amika Zibanejad continue to play the way he's playing but other than that everyone has to be you know playing at their top level and if somebody is not then Mika's got to step up Kako I mean geez got to start playing like a number two pick because I don't know what he's doing I, I think he's worse this season than he was last season so um I, I think that 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 like you said Lou that's a big game and um, it's something that come playoff time, people are going to look back at that game and and base predictions off of tomorrow's game. If if there's one area of comparison specifically that I look at the Rangers and I look at the Bruins, it could not be more obvious. It's in goal. The Rangers have two star goaltenders at the moment, as do the Boston Bruins. Jeremy Swayman and Linus Olmark almost have identical records to this point. They've each played nine games and they're each among the top of the list, both in save percentage and goals against average. They've also given up the same amount of goals. Incredible. But they also have the same analytical stats. They're practically, they're two of the best goaltenders in the league right now. And that is the difference for Boston. This, I don't know if you've been involved in the Twitter sphere around the Boston Bruins lately. I follow a lot of Boston people, so it comes to me naturally. There have been a lot of talks. Why is this Bruins team so good at a year, one year removed from losing Marsha and Krejci? And after such a demoralizing loss in the playoffs, well, it must be their winning culture and good coaching. Those are the two things that have been brought up the most, winning culture and good coaching. And to that, I say the Bruins have won Stanley Cup since the 70s. They don't have a winning culture. I'm sorry, they don't. Maybe they maybe they have a regular season winning culture. If that's something you want to make up and create in your brain that doesn't exist, sure. And good coaching. Yeah, sure. They have great coaching, but that's not always the answer. The coach doesn't play the games. You know who does play the games? The goaltenders, the goaltending has been lights out. And I'm not saying they're being carried. They're a solid team. But that's really like, if you look at that team, after the first two lines, and arguably after the first line, I'm thinking, how the how are these guys scoring as many goals as they are? How are these guys this dominant in games? And a lot of it, to me, boils down to they have such elite goaltending compared to the rest of the league. And it doesn't matter which goaltender it is. Swayman or Olmark, they are head and shoulders above every other team's goaltending collectively. You always know when you're playing the Bruins, you're going to get goalied. It's it's a fact. It's a guarantee at this point. And I didn't think that was going to happen. I knew Swayman had a future in this league. And I knew Linus Olmark was deservedly the Vesna winner last year. I did not think he was going to hit the ground running this year the same way he did, especially after the playoffs. He did play injured. We've kind of forgotten about that. A bit of revisionist history on our part. That's our bad. But Boston and New York are similar in goal. Boston are kind of an anomaly in this way. Like I've never seen anything like this with two goalies playing at the top of their game, both not not just like like right now for their careers. It's not going to get much better for either of these guys. They're playing out of their minds and that makes the Bruins look a little bit better than they are. I think the Rangers are the better team and will show that on the ice. Um but it's going to come down to who's in between the sticks and I think the Bruins might actually be winning that battle even though Igor is the best in the world. 
I saw I did see on Twitter last night. It was a picture of the Bruins top four, the their four lines. And it was like, how is yeah, this how team? Is this team? Yeah. And it, you know, it's a valid question because I feel like there's a lot of forward groupings that you can throw up against Boston. And it's like not even close. Like it really is a case of I, I give I'll give credit to their decor too. I think, you know, led by McAvoy. Yeah. You got Shattenkirk on that third line. I know he's regressed a little bit. Like I think there's some solid stuff going on in front of Omar and Swayman defensively. Uh, but I mean that's that's the dream, right? To have two goalies like Allmark and Swayman. I know Ranger fans, we got we got Igor and Quick right now, so it's not like we're complaining, but the dream is to have Allmark and Swayman and know that every night you're gonna get a top tier goalie performance. And that's what they've gotten. Um last bit of local stuff, and this will probably be the quickest, but Islanders snapped a seven game losing streak the other day, and now they're starting to get some points. So it's four straight games with the points, two overtime losses. Now they get a shootout win and just a regulation win over the Flyers. It hasn't been pretty, I'll say, but this is kind of what we needed from them. They were losing a lot of close games. They were losing these overtime shootout losses, and now they're starting to go their way where, okay, maybe we can talk about the Islanders turning it around a little bit. And let's not forget, it's not like everyone in the Metro is killing it. Besides the Rangers, no one really has out-grabbed this Metro. I think second place and third place right now, Philly and Washington. So, like, Metro's the Caps are on a five-game win streak. Right. It, Capitals are crazy um this metro can i think can be up for grabs and you're starting to see the islanders you're starting to see the islanders maybe show signs of life which is not something we've been able to say a ton i think they're to me this year so far they're they're a mediocre team they're they're a team that's that's hanging in there they got you know good players they got no adoption brock nelson matt barzell guys like that um but i i don't know just the way they've been playing it's just they have good players but it's it, their whole team is just, eh, you know what I mean? Um, 70% penalty kills, not great. Um, I think that they're, they're showing life, but I don't think they're, they're going to be the team that they were a few years ago when, you know, I think they made it to the second round of the playoffs. I don't think they're going to be that team this year. I think they're just going to be a team that, you know, they have their good days. They, they show up every one, you know, every once in a while and beat a good team. They're always there. Um, they're not the team that you're worried about, but they're not the team that you go, oh, that's an easy win. Yeah, I, if I if I'm looking at you mentioned the Capitals and I just really quickly want, want to touch on them. Charlie Lindgren might be the best like backup in the league because we're not talking about Quick and Swayman like backups right now. Goaltending helps a lot of teams, man. Just saying, uh, it hurts a lot of teams, helps a lot of teams. As for the New York Islanders, they really really shot themselves in the foot uh, throughout the month of October or late October and early November, I should say. And they kind of dug themselves out just just from the past week and and change. I thought they looked really good uh, on the Western Canada or the Western, I guess, Northwest road trip in general. Um, digging, dig, the going toe to toe with the way the Canucks have been playing was impressive, and you know I, I thought that was a good point. I thought the Kraken game, as for as tight as it was, was a bad point. The game they should have won, and then they go ahead and they 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 end the trip on a positive, getting a win against the Flames, and I think. When you when you snap a road a, 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 a losing streak, sorry, on the road on a road trip like that, a difficult one at that, that can be a lot moving forward for team morale and confidence. And I think they showed that against the Flyers, who have been, you know, kind of the surprise of the Metropolitan Division so far. Um, the Capitals have certainly been surprising too, but everyone expected the Flyers to just be sitting in the basement, start to finish all season long. So for them to have even jumped out to any uh, sort of start to me is impressive. 
So good on Torts for getting that done, I guess. And, and and as for tonight, I love the matchup for the Islanders because the Senators are a totally different team. That's a run and gun, young, fast paced hockey team. And the Islanders are going to try to close down everything in the neutral zone, going to try to make it really hard for the for the Senators to 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 move pieces around in the offensive zone. And, you know, when the Devils play the Islanders, I, I, I see a lot of similarities between Buffalo, New Jersey and Ottawa. And, and and the way that the Islanders combat those teams is physical and it usually works, um, but sometimes they get outskilled, which is which is where the Islanders kind of have their downfall is that a lot of teams are just simply more talented and skillful than them. But that's not to say that the Islanders can't grind out and win games. And I think that tonight on the road to Ottawa, if they can impose their will and play their game for two periods over Ottawa, even if they don't get a win. I would say that that's an encouraging game. And look, even with a seven-game losing streak, seven-game losing streak, they are still ahead of the New Jersey Devils and Columbus Blue Jackets in the division. So while it was a terrible sequence, it's not the end of the world. Teams are in worse positions than them. I think that, that, that to me is a little bit crazy. Thinking about where New Jersey was last year and where they are right now, and people were saying, well, we can't panic just yet, which is valid. But now we're talking about the Islanders, seven-game losing streak, but they're still two points ahead. I think that's a decent position to be in, all things considered. If they can play a solid game like tonight and they don't have to constantly rely on uh, Sorokin or even Varlamov, who's been excellent, actually. I talk about goaltending all the time, man. I mean, there's all these great options who aren't starting if if Tom Fitzgerald wants to you know, start making some calls to get someone in black and red to play in between the pipes tonight. That'd be, that'd be sick. But I digress. The Islanders, I think, if... I, I'm I'm I I really love this the Senators matchup just because of the clash in styles and I think it's going to be an ugly one, mm-hmm. but ugliness kind of feeds into the Islanders' forte. So I think that I think they they could go ahead and get a win tonight. I I think that's what when you talk about the the lesser talented teams, the teams that don't have all that firepower to lean back on, a lot of times it pays to make it an ugly game, and that's something I think the Islanders can do very well. It's a lot to ask them to win a back to back, but we're talking sends and flyers. And just for the Possible. sake, just for the sake of the point, though, you win those. You win those two games. Islanders could be in second place on Saturday in the Metro, and that's what's so crazy. I think about the Metro right now is we came into this year, at least for myself, I thought this division is going to be fun. I think there's you know the top teams. There's three clear ones in Rangers, Canes, Devils, and then there's a couple teams that can make it interesting. Um, and it hasn't been the top three powerhouse that I thought it was going to be at all, right? The, the Canes have slotted into third place, and they've they've been able to play some solid hockey of late. We've already talked about the Devils, but outside of the Rangers, it's really all and you know the Black Blue Jackets at you know the, really the bottom. It's all crammed up in this two through six kind of jam where it's like you win a couple couple games, you can jump up all these spots because you have all these teams that have just kind of been middling. And I wonder how long that's really gonna last for because i i do tend to think that the good teams get their act together and start to go on runs like the devils are going to go on a run i think the canes are going to go on a run and that's not something that you can always say about teams like the islanders or the or well the caps are on a run right now but let's you know the islanders the penguins like it's harder for those teams to go on a couple runs this year and so that's why it's interesting like you have to take advantage of when other teams are middling to just stay in the race. That's what the Islanders did last year. And then they got that second half surge and they snuck into the playoffs. 
I will say even the Rangers, I mean, they're not so far ahead that it's they're not five, reachable, five points you know? ahead of the sec of second place. Like they win, they lose three games. All of a sudden they're not feeling that they don't have that cushion. Yeah, no, uh, but I think, you know, the Isles, they, they definitely have a shot, you know, especially with the, the way uh, teams are playing right now to, to stay in the race. I think, I think the, the Canes are always scary, you know, like every single year with the way they play, you know, um, very fast paced physical. So I think that they're definitely going to rise f- from the number three spot. But I think in terms of these other teams, um, you know, I, I guess we, we did make the mistake of counting out the Caps and Flyers. A lot of us, you know, early, early on in the season, but, you know, they're playing well, but I think that eventually they're going to, they're going to slow down. I think the Isles do have a chance to, to stay in the race with them. I think, you know, the Devils probably will pick it up a little bit. So it will be a close race. And I think it's just, you know, for, for the Islanders, it's a matter of, you know, getting every point you can get, just staying in the race. And I think you hang in there, you know, when, when these other teams have a bad stretch, now you have a chance to rise in the standings. If, if there's one thing we expect from the Islanders, it's consistency. You know, they're a team. I'm looking at the list. Of a lot of these teams. I'm not sure what the Capitals like identity really is. I'm not sure what the Philadelphia Flyers identity really is. If not for a group of, you know, I guess just bullies throwing pucks on net and like their playing duck and chase. Yeah. And yeah, their identity is beating is awesome. a couple days ago. And, and then the Penguins who are, you know, sort of trying to hold on to an identity that is four years past them and has, has kind of escaped. The, these are all teams that are going to be on the playoff line. What the Islanders do have is a very, very clear style of play and identity. That 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 alone gives me more confidence for their group than a lot of the others that are in this conversation. Because no, the Capitals are not going to be winning uh, this many games going forward if we're a month later into the season. The Flyers certainly aren't, and and I think the Penguins might pick it up a bit, and the Devils absolutely should. But we know what the Islanders are going to look like. They're going to look like they look right now. Uh, uh, maybe not maybe not entirely look like what they're going to look like right now, but they're going to play like they're trying to play right now. And whether or not it's successful long term, a lot of it has to do with injuries because we saw how how really, really troublesome it gets for this team when they don't have their top pieces scoring goals because it becomes really hard for them to get uh, low level production from secondary contributors just because, quite frankly, they don't have that many goal scoring pieces deep on this team. So as long as they can stay healthy long-term, I think you know what you're going to get from the Islanders, and they're going to be right around the fourth, fifth, sixth position of this division, I would say, all year long. And look, when you look at their team compared to others, if I'm a New York Islanders fan, that should be my expectation. And I would be happy with another year of sneaking into the playoffs in a wild card, just looking at how difficult this division and difficult the Eastern Conference is. So the fact that you know what you're going to get from the Islanders is, to me, uh, something of a blessing for them. I think that's a, enough of a crutch to help them, you know, sneak into the playoffs over the likes of the Penguins again, or maybe it's the Capitals uh, uh, or even the Devils uh, in, a, in a late charge right now. Quickly, let's do our little lap around the pond and cover some of the non-local teams. Will, something you brought to our attention is that Vegas in a little bit of a slide and it's losing five of their last eight. They lost three of five in their five-game road trip. So, I mean, I'll start with you, Will. Do you have any thoughts right off the bat about, I mean, Vegas is still the second best team in the NHL, but they've definitely cooled off a little bit. Yeah, I looked at their record last night, 5-4-1 in the last 10. So definitely a slide since they're, you know, their 7-0 start. And I don't, I don't know what it is. I mean, I've looked at, you know, what they've done, watched some of their games, and it's like they don't 
it's not like they're playing awful. Um, their numbers aren't awful either. I just think it's like things, guys like Jonathan March so aren't playing out of their mind like they were last postseason. I think it's just things like that. Um, and we talked a lot about goalies this this episode, almost this season, this episode so far. We are talking about the season, but, um, you know, Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson, they had a couple iffy games. Um, Aiden Hill had an 82% save percentage against Montreal. Logan Thompson had 86 against Anaheim. So I think, you know, games like that, you know, contribute to um, to that slide. I don't think it's it's time to necessarily worry if you're Vegas, um, but it's time that, you know, you look at some of these things and you become aware of it and fix it if you're trying to become, you know, repeat champions at the end of the season. Yeah, the Aiden Hill conversation I think is is interesting because it's he was a guy that right basically got himself a contract based on that postseason run, and I thought he was someone that could just fall off like and and that contract yeah. could look really ugly because I mean we talk about it all the time playoffs are weird and weird guys emerge and play awesome and then regular season comes back up and they don't play that well and I don't think that's the case with Aiden Hill this year I mean yeah he's had a couple stinkers but like Aiden Hill's been consistently good and and like I think has proven that as of right now, he's deserving of that contract and deserving of being Vegas a starter. I think that's really cool. Uh, Ike was playing outside of his mind. He's still, even during this stretch, Ike was still playing really, really good. I think it's the fact that yes, the complimentary pieces aren't necessarily gelling the way they were either earlier in this season or when you look at the playoffs, like Chandler Stevenson, I think has been one of their worst players this year. When you look at, when you look at his game score on hockey on hockey stack card, like Chandler Stevenson's value has not been great. He's not playing well defensively and offensively producing almost nothing since the first couple of games. So I think, yeah, again, we talk about like winning at a crazy rate is kind of unsustainable. Only a couple teams ever have done it. And so, yes, this Vegas team is going to come back down to earth. But I think the important thing to note is that even on this stretch, they're not playing abysmal hockey. It's just things evening out. No, and I, I'm not worried about – I wouldn't be worried about if, if I had a vested interest in this team, which I certainly don't. I wouldn't be worried about uh, about Vegas at all. And all throughout the playoffs last year and really the Western Conference Finals and the Stanley Cup, we were just marveling at the well-oiled machine that was the Vegas Golden Knights. You know, with without Logan Thompson and then without Laurent Brossois, they turned to Aiden Hill, who – and. Uh, Colin Lockhart and I spoke to radio broadcaster Dan Duva about this Fordham WFB legend, by the way, um, it, briefly, briefly WFB. I think he was mostly Syracuse, but briefly WFB. So we're going to claim it. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, um, and he's a New Jersey guy. So I also want to throw that out. He brought up the fact that when they, when they traded for Aiden Hill or when they signed him, that someone tweeted out Stanley cup champion confirmed. And I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm just glad that that was spoken into existence. Aiden Hill is like a career backup, career AHL taxi guy who is now into his early 30s and has become one of the best goaltenders in the National Hockey League. Meanwhile, Logan Thompson is also playing some terrific goaltending as well. Oh, sorry, uh, late 20s for Aiden Hill, not early 30s. But Logan Thompson, last year was his coming out party, who got injured shortly before the playoffs began. And I was devastated for him because he played 20 or so games maybe fewer than that even in 2021-22 and looked really good. And everyone was saying, this is Logan Thompson is the future goaltender of the Vegas Golden Knights. He started like 40 games and was lights out last year and then got injured before the playoffs. And I thought this is going to take all the steam out of Vegas's sales. And it didn't. <laughs> the goaltending they got in the playoffs was just as good, if not better. 
And if at the start of this season, I was right there with you, Lou. I was like, Aiden Hill, he's going to go back to resuming his uh, his normal uh, occupation on the bench. And no, he's started 12 games and he's played unbelievable. The only be- goaltender with better analytics than him right now is Thatcher Demko, who is carrying my fantasy team at the moment, which is <laughs> awesome. And then Logan Thompson is right there with him, who started admittedly fewer games, but is also playing out of his mind. Again, goaltending matters so much. And when you have consistent goaltending from not one, but two guys, there's really three or four teams that can say this. And we've talked about three or four of them to this point tonight. And yeah, they should be counting their lucky stars that Aiden Hill has blossomed the way that he has. But even so, the Vegas Golden Knights have been playing good enough hockey, regardless of the goaltending situation, to suggest that they'll be fine moving forward. And I'm not worried about them. They play such a good gritty game despite having so many high top-end goal scorers like Eichel. And yeah, March or so hasn't really hit the ground running, but he's not, if you remember from the regular season, he's not entirely expected to be the biggest point getter, but he found a groove in the playoffs and absolutely deserved to win the Conn Smythe Trophy. I think they'll be fine. And the fact that, yeah, even if it's not as great as it once was, we know what's coming when this team, when they get going. The energy that they can harness in four or five minutes is unlike anything else I've seen. And and, I, and I, teams can do some pretty spectacular things. I know the Maple Leafs love to score in bunches. They're a very opportunistic team. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings, Cat line is still killing it. They scored three goals in a minute and 11 seconds against the Devils. But they still don't look like the Vegas Golden Knights when they do it. When the Knights get going, there's no team in this league that can stop them, even still. Uh, and, and I'm not saying they're about to go back-to-back Stanley Cup champions, but it wouldn't surprise me if they did. Yeah, I mean, they just have so much depth, um, at, like, mm-hmm. whether it's non-goalies you know, uh, or goalies, you know. Like, last year, I think they rotated between, like, four goalies, which is yeah. insane. And then I think Aiden Hill was, like, the last one or the third one yeah. or something like that. Um, I thought, like, when when Brassois went down, I thought they were, like, screwed because – I think he got hurt in the Oilers series and they started off that series with like a win and then he got hurt. Um, and then suddenly all you see all these games where like the Oilers are dropping like six goals on them. And it's like, what in the hell is going on? And I don't know what Aiden Hill did, but I mean, he certainly got it together. I don't know if it was a technique change or whatever he did, but I mean, it seems like ever since the last couple of games of that series against the Oilers, he's really gotten it together and, you know, 93.2 save percentage. That's pretty, pretty good. I think let's close this out with do a little Blackhawks because a couple of things we need to talk about. First off, and James, I think we were talking a little bit off air about it. Connor Bedard already at 10 goals through 17 games. I think he's been everything that he's been advertised to be. I thought maybe got off with a little bit to a slow start, but I I, think, I forget who made the point. I think it was one of the guys on the NHL TNT crew, or maybe it was spitting chicklets. But like, if you looked at the first five games that he had, like, Really tough defensive matchups going against some of the best teams in the league. And all of a sudden, you get him just on a nice nice stretch of games, and he's heating up. That toe-drag release shot, like, it's everything that it's been advertised to be. He's awesome. And it's he looks like he's already going to be a generational talent. And we knew that. Um, I'm, not to say that we were, like, the first on it, but... We talked about the World Juniors like around uh, around winter break last year, yeah. uh, around February, and and we were like, yeah, okay, I get it now. I understand the hype. Like I had prior to that, prior, I would say two years ago, the World Juniors is when I really saw Connor Bedard for the first time, and I was like, yeah, no, this kid's legit. He is, and 
I still can't believe that you brought up that release specifically. He does so many things that like young players don't do. The fact that he thinks I'm going to toe drag inside, use this player to screen the goaltender and snap it off in space that I shouldn't be able to snap off a shot that nasty. Yeah, I know who the goaltender was. It's fine. He still did it. Ten goals at this point. Look, someone asked me, uh, someone who's not a hockey fan asked me recently about Connor Bedard. Has this kid lived up to the hype? And I'm like, yeah, he has. Um, it might not be as super flashy or as, you know, it might not be as attention getting as Austin Matthews scoring four goals in his first game. But ten goals and this consistent level of quality play. And it's not it's not just like the chances are coming to him. He's creating these chances and he's doing it in ways that were advertised. You know, that, that first goal, the wraparound against the Bruins, found found a loose puck and went after it with speed. The edge work was fantastic. He can skate like the best skaters in this league, and he can shoot through tight spaces and has hands like some of the best players in this league. But he's making creative plays that veterans of this league sometimes don't even make. He's truly remarkable. It really stinks for him that he's on one of the worst teams in the National Hockey League. Um, but like, I don't. I'm not I don't care for the Chicago Blackhawks. I, I kind of want them to struggle yeah. for for some of the things that they've done. They deserve uh, more to struggle. recently. They deserve to struggle. They don't deserve to have a, a star boy like Connor Bedard, who I'm growing to like more and more each day just because he's a good kid, too. Right. Like he puts his head down and just works, works, works. And he deserves all the praise he's getting because he is that good. He truly is a generational talent. Um, I was really excited to see, though, the the partnership develop between him and Taylor Hall because that's a former Hart Trophy winner with the New Jersey Devils. He just hasn't been the same since that season, and unfortunately, the knee injury is going to keep him out for the rest of the year. And I, all, I know all too well about knee injuries. They're the worst, and for Taylor Hall to get them absolutely is brutal to me because I love that guy so much. I mean, right behind this door to this wall, I have a jersey signed by him that's hung up in my basement because of how much this guy meant to me in 2018 for what he did for the New Jersey Devils. I love him. So I'm very sad for him personally, but I don't, the Blackhawks can continue to lose as long as Bedard keeps scoring goals. I'll, I'll be, I'll, I'll be tuned in and I'll be watching. I'll say I'm a little worried with the injury to Hall, just cause I like Taylor Hall was brought in specifically to play with Connor Bedard. Cause they wanted someone else that they mm-hmm. could put on a wing next to Bedard that, you know, is more experienced, can set him up and, but this can also be a point producer as well. And if you look at the metrics, really Bedard and Taylor Hall were the only guys producing at a positive value offensively. You take Hall out of the equation. I mean, there's not a ton of talent on this Blackhawks team up and down the roster. And Taylor Hall was a really nice guy to have at Bedard that it's, listen, it's not like Bedard's production is going to fall off a cliff. I think it does hurt that he loses a guy like Taylor Hall for the rest of the year. You know, certainly, I mean, some guys take, take longer to, to adjust to the league as you know a guy we talked about earlier Lafreniere took you know a while to adjust and even now still he's you know he's just starting to get hot but Connor Bedard is someone that you know got hot, hot really quick and I mean it's, it's good for the Blackhawks I guess having him um but I, I think he'll he'll keep this Blackhawks offense afloat for sure I mean even without Taylor Hall just because you know, of how much production he, he's had so far. It's definitely going to hurt, Um, you know, especially when you have, like, you know, in any sport, when you have, like, a nice tandem and, you know, what one goes down, you know, obviously um, the chemistry that's been built, you know, you got to kind of, uh, you know, the the adjustments you're going to have to make, you know, it's it's going to hurt the team. But I think that, 
you know, the way Connor Bedard has been playing, he's going to figure it out. And I think that, you know, despite the injury, he'll help them win some games this season. He's on. I, I'm, yeah. Sorry, just just real quick. Just this, this Blackhawks roster, man, it's just tragic. Oh, it is. It is like the, the early 2010s, like convinced me, I guess, that the Chicago Blackhawks were this mecca of hockey that could never be broken down. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, what a fall from grace. Bedard goes from playing with Anthanasiu and 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 Taylor Hall, who are now both injured reserve, to playing with Lucas Reichel and Philip Karashev. Like, that is a drop in quality that you wouldn't believe. Like, maybe he plays with Nick Foligno, Joey Anderson, Tyler Johnson. The fact of the matter is, whatever line he plays on on this team now, whoever's paired with him, he has to do everything. Creation, goal scoring, he is in charge of the entire thing. And I'm not saying he's not capable of that, but that is a much, much different ask of an 18-year-old kid than, hey, here's Taylor Hall and Andreas Antonasu to play with, who are, you know, veterans of the league, two clear top six guys who can go in and create stuff with you. Now there's so much more responsibility for him. Um, I'm interested to see how how he does. Yeah. You know, like he had Taylor Hall with him and they they were able to not only bounce off each other in a hockey sense, but Taylor Hall's played with a bunch of first overall picks before he's a first overall pick himself. That's something he knows. He's a proven winner. He's a former MVP. Just having that presence around you is 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 a, is a big help. It this is going to be one of the toughest tests of his career. How is he going to bounce uh, bounce off of this and still play good hockey? And how is he going to do it with not great hockey players around him? Uh, I, I I this this is if he can continue to score points the way he has been before, even without Taylor Hall next to him. I would be wildly impressed with Connor Bedard. And then I, at that point, I would say he's even exceeded the hype at this point. They might need to dip Corey Perry in like the fountain of youth and see if that can Ugh. throw him in the first line with Bedard and see what happens. Um, <laughs> the NHL record for most goals by an 18 year old is 51 by Gretzky. Bedard's on pace for 50. And, you know, it's curious <laughs> to see, right? I feel like that pace is that, like, I don't know if he's able to keep that up now that Taylor Hall is out, but I also like no doubt in my mind that I, even with the injury, I think Bedard, Bedard's proven special talent. We've talked about it at length right now. And I think it is, it's going to be, he's going to have a lot of adversity this year, especially now that, you know, the injuries the, that the Blackhawks have and just the Blackhawks roster in general. But uh, no doubt that I think we were talking about a guy that I think could very quickly be in top 10 NHL player conversations as soon as like, next year couple years from now which is cool i mean i would put him in that conversation sooner than a couple years from now mm-hmm. i think look i'm not saying he's there yet but uh he, he's, he's got he's capable of some things that 98 percent of the national hockey league right now isn't capable of give him six more months and i think we're gonna see a lot more well boys Appreciate you taking the time. Black Friday, day after Thanksgiving. Got to chop up some puck. Uh, appreciate it. Happy Thanksgiving and happy Thanksgiving weekend to everyone listening. Uh, that will do it for myself, James Burley, and Will Jing. This has been a production of WFU Sports.